Hey, welcome back to Well, That's Interesting. The whoa, 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 there's a lot going on here edition. <laughs> Today is episode 125, Old Sushi Leads to Nine Months of Hell. You heard me. And could you get drunk drinking a drunk person's blood? See, I told you. <laughs> I'm Jill Chacha, and if this is your first time listening, wow, what an episode to start on. Good for you, and welcome to the flock, Business Goose. <laughs> it is just us today, kiddo, and I highly recommend buckling up because this one, oh man, today's episode isn't for the faint of heart, okay? In the first half of the show, we're going, we're going to cover a medical case that sounds like it's right out of a horror movie franchise, and like with all classic horror films, it begins on a pleasant day in the suburbs with a mom returning home from a busy day at work. A late dinner is eaten, and life begins to fall apart. My friends, her journey includes visions, pissing and shitting herself, insomnia, seizures, misdiagnosis, and just all-around terror for months. The culprit was a possession of sorts, you could say, and we'll get into it. Then after the break, absolutely no palate cleanser whatsoever. Sorry, not sorry. We're cracking open the exquisite literary masterpiece, What If? Volume 2 by Randall Monroe. And continuing with everyone's favorite new segment, say it with me now, let's read from a book, motherfucker. Someone actually, actually had this thought and actually wrote it out and actually submitted it in the form of a question to Randall, quote, could you get drunk from drinking a drunk person's blood? End quote. Yeah. This question is disturbing and a tongue twister, but don't you worry, because yes, as always, Randall did the math for us and we have an answer. I hope you're thirsty. So, shall we begin? Are you fucking buckled up? All right, because to start, we need to travel back in time, just to before the end of the world and a year no one remembers, 2019. A time when something called offices existed, and people traveled to and from these places to send emails and make small talk. Now, it was hell for some, but also a time to break away from family for just a few hours. For some, it was enjoyable. For those, like a 34-year-old woman only identified as JC. Now, she had a long day at the office and found herself driving home at night, passing one closed restaurant, one closed market, one after the other. And dinner was just going to have to be whatever was left in the fridge. So... After getting through the door and saying hi to hubby, J.C. cracked open the fridge and behold, nothing. Nothing really. Just, uh, just a few bits and bobs that existed in their own, but in no way could be combined to form a decent meal. There was, however, a six-piece sushi roll that had been ignored for the past five days. It was purchased hastily at a gas station for reasons no one really understands. But my friends, there it was the only option. Quote, the fish did taste a little sour, but I just put soy sauce on it to mask it out. The five-day-old sushi was so uneventful, I didn't even remember eating it, she exclaimed, as reported by The Mirror. Mm -hmm. So nice and full and tired from the day, JC went to bed and woke in the morning, doing all the routine things one needs to do to get ready for the office. Life was normal. Until... Until about four months later, and it all began with insomnia. 
She would hit the hay at her usual time, 11 p.m., and then just toss and fucking turn until the sun rose at 7 a.m. when she'd have to start the day all over again. The sleepless sleepless nights added up, and I'm sure as you can imagine or even experienced yourself, sleepless nights make for terrible days. And yeah, her days were filled with confusion, a level of anxiety that made her feel like, quote, her heart was beating out of her neck, end quote, from news.com.au. Now, about five months into this, the stomach cramps began. They would come and go throughout the day unpredictably, and the only thing that was consistent about them was the sensation, what she described as jiggling and shaking. I'm sorry about that. Uh, JC told her husband it felt like a fish was, quote, flapping around in my belly, unquote. (laughs) Jesus, from news.com.au. So, my friends, don't worry. It gets a lot more graphic. Her number twos were basically a different kind of number ones, if you know what I mean. And honestly, with the inability to sleep and the stress that causes, hey, You know, stomach cramps and the runs, that seems inevitable, right? So she did what a lot of us would do. You guessed it. She self-medicated. She tried essential oils, melatonin, and teas to help her sleep consistently. But of course, none of these did a goddamn thing. Six months in. Six months in, JC began to hallucinate. That's right. And brace yourself, folks, because the images were small, crawling creatures kind of like bugs that would dart or slither at the peripheral of her vision, which would instinctively pull her attention over to them. Again and again, left to right, left to right. And it was only a few weeks later when those visions, you guessed it, moved from the walls to under her skin. The crawling sensations followed along with them, and to top off this fucked up cake with even more fucked up icing, um, one night, while awake, of course, JC lost sensations, lost the sensation in her hands and feet. And in a panic, she darted from the bed only to realize she pissed herself as well. So put a pin in that too. It was seven months in when JC finally went to the doctor who performed the basics and listened to what she had been experiencing. Uh, Sure, she was underweight, but the tests were performed and came back normal. So why bother going any farther? It's all just stress. This is a classic case of, lady, it's all in your head. Get some cognitive behavioral therapy. For real, my friends, that's what they told her. It's all in your head. Now, needless to say, thinking differently uh, did nothing to stop the insomnia, the visions, or the physical sensations. The breaking point was one evening when her husband walked into the bedroom to find J.C. mumbling to herself in a corner, shaking and again having urinated. This night escalated into her passing out and having a fucking seizure. Now shit was getting real. The emergency room doctors took a blood sample and popped it under a microscope and saw with their very own eyes something was going on in J.C. on a cellular level. All right, my friends. Let's start with our good friends, the red blood cells, okay? Now, it turns out JC had macrocytosis, which is a fancy-ass way of saying abnormally large red blood cells. And not only were they malformed, they were immature and vastly underproduced. She had a low red blood cell count on top of this, which is aka anemia. 
Now, her white blood cells also join the party, looking just as malformed and immature. Now, taking this truly shitty combination of macrocytosis and anemia into account, this, well, went on for seven months unchecked. This could have explained the insomnia. With fewer red blood cells to carry significant or sufficient oxygen to her body and organs, sleepless exhaustion is inevitable. But it doesn't explain the irregular white blood cells and the neurological problems like the lack of bladder control and losing sensation and, and, you know, fucking seeing things. So if it sounds like something else is the culprit here, you're right. As our paranoid friend WebMD states, quote, macrocytosis isn't a disease itself, but is instead a condition that results from other underlying health problems, end quote. So the doctors consulted and came to the conclusion that the lack of all cell production and their inhibited growth and the neurodegeneration of the brain, this all points to, drumroll please, a severe B12 deficiency. Okay, hold on. I know you're screaming into your phone. I know. I know you're saying this can't just be a vitamin deficiency, not on this fucking show. (laughs) I get it. I get it, my flock. Please be patient. We'll get to it. Now, for you see, there totally was a B12 deficiency in JC. B12 is not produced by the body. We need to source it from our diets. And holy shit, we need it. Simply fucking put, B12 is needed to form red blood cells and DNA itself, helping to produce two of its four chemical bases, the the A and G of the AGCT code. I don't know if you remember that from biology. So pretty fucking important. And when there's not enough B12, DNA can't be replicated properly and cells get all sorts of fucked up and irregular, AKA macrocytosis. But wait, there's more. A lack of B12 has also been linked to a breakdown of myelin sheath, That's the beautiful fatty substance surrounding our neurons in the brain, and it's really needed to help transmit electrical signals. So if parts of the brain can't communicate with each other or other parts of the body, you have neurodegeneration and its effects, like peeing yourself, in JC's case. So doctors hitched up their pants and gave JC a series of B12 injections to get her recovery started and recommended B12 capsules to ingest afterwards. And you know what? My friends, things started to turn around. She even had a few good nights of sleep for two months. Yeah, for two months. That's when the symptoms all started to return. The insomnia, the hallucinations, and the seizures. My friends, she was back in the ER. And somehow, despite the supplements, the macrocytosis had returned, and get this, B12 levels plummeted to less than 10%. We're talking single digits here. So finally, someone in that ER must have had a light bulb go off because they realized JC is ingesting B12, but not absorbing it. My friends, something else is. (laughs) Yeah. Now, if you're a longtime listener of this show, you probably have a hankering as to what may be inside JC. Well, the search for it, all began with a stool sample. Yeah, the doctors took a look <laughs> took a look at her poop, and lo and behold, eggs, thousands of them. JC had a tapeworm. Uh, my friends, may I introduce 
Dephylobathrum latrum? Dephylobathrum latum. It doesn't fucking matter. It's one of the largest... <laughs> all you need to know is that it's one of the largest tapeworms to infect humans. This species can grow up to like 9 meters or 30 feet long in your intestines. So a round of applause. Uh, according to the CDC, infections are acquired by eating raw or, or undercooked fish, usually from the northern hemisphere. But don't worry, cases have also been reported in Uganda and Chile. In some, fish infected with larvae can be transported and consumed in any area of the world. So please adequately freeze or cook your fish and try to avoid buying sushi at gas stations. <laughs> That's our PSA for today. Now, this worm actually survives off B12, just like we do, and gets B12 from its diet, just like we do. But it turns out we are the diet, and this parasite is excellent at siphoning B12 out of the body via the small intestine, which is hooked up to the stomach. And in this case, the worm was mainlining B12 for nine whole months inside JC's body. So finally, finally, I can't even talk because it's so disturbing. Finally, the actual cause of JC's nightmare was discovered and the solution was a simple single dose of Prezequet, oh man, <laughs> Prezequantrel, it's an anti-worm medication and We've brought it up a few times in various other tapeworm episodes, which I probably could not pronounce any of those times either, so you're welcome. Uh, anyway, these, this medication forces calcium into the worm, causing its muscles to like basically stop working. It's essentially paralyzed, and the immune system can now recognize it as a foreign object, object and just attacks it. Uh, the worm, now in pieces, uh, is then pooped out. So... How could a story on this show end in any other way than through the butt? I mean, come on. Of course not. There's no other way. So I am absolutely stoked to let you know JC had a full recovery, or at least as much as one can in this instance of nine months of hell. But it's good enough. And we can move on to the second half of the show. <laughs> After the break. How much blood could a blood chuck chuck if a blood chuck could chuck blood? Sorry, wait wrong tongue twister. Could you get drunk from drinking a drunk person's blood? Kinda. Stay tuned. And we're back. We are so back. And my friends, we've made it to the murder and drinking blood portion of the show. <laughs> and I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, it's about damn time. So join me, will you, on page 211 of the colossal book, what if, volume two, as we answer one of life's mysteries, or at least a question, <laughs> at least a question submitted to author and former NASA roboticist, Randall Monroe. Uh, he was actually asked, quote, could you get drunk from drinking a drunk person's blood, end quote. Well, you know what, my friends, to put it bluntly, you'd have to consume so much, uh, it would even kill a vampire. So I think we should get into it. The numbers, the numbers are pretty fascinating. Oh, and if you want to make this a lethal drinking game, because <laughs> why not? That's the theme of today's episode. Please sip something every time I say the word blood and have a frenemy nearby who may be interested in draining you. We all have one. Bring them on down. Okay, are you ready? Okay, let's begin. Quote, you'd have to drink a lot of blood. A person contains about five liters of blood or 14 glasses. 
Now, if your blood is more than about half a percent alcohol, you stand a pretty good chance of dying. Uh, there have been a handful of cases of people surviving with a blood alcohol level above 1%, but the LD50, the LD50, or the level at which 50% of people will die, is 0.4, or 0.4%. If someone had a blood alcohol concentration, or a BAC of 0.4, and you drank all 14 glasses of their blood in a short amount of time, you would throw up, end quote. Well, my friends, all right, I'm going to give you a minute to breathe because that was a hefty sentence containing blood and vomit. And if you're actually doing the drinking game, you probably passed out by now. So (laughs) I'll give you a minute, but please be strong, my dear flock. We're halfway through our question and uh, let's get to the answer, which will be exponentially worse, I promise you. Quote, if you somehow avoided vomiting, you would have ingested a total of 20 grams of ethanol, which is the amount you'd get from a pint of beer. End quote. Yeah. Can you fucking believe that? (laughs) 14 glasses of a person's blood at 0.4% is basically like drinking a beer. Okay. That's fascinating. Anyway, let's continue the quote. Quote, depending on your weight, drinking that much blood could raise your own blood alcohol to about 0.05 which is low enough that you could legally drive in many jurisdictions, but high enough to double your risk of an accident if you did. End quote. So, there you have it, my friends. Getting into an accident, I think that's drunk enough, but, you know. (laughs) You know good old Randall. We need to take this a little farther. (laughs) 0.05 just isn't isn't far enough. So, let's continue. Quote, if your BAC is 0.05, It means only an eighth of the alcohol from the other person's blood made it into yours. If you drank all this blood and someone killed you and drank your blood, they would have a BAC of 0.006. Now, if this process was repeated about 25 times, there would be fewer than eight molecules of ethanol left in the last person's blood. After a few more cycles, there would only, there would like, there, I know, it's gross. After a few more cycles, there would likely be none, and they'd be just drinking regular blood, end quote. Now, if this scenario sounds ridiculous, the 2024 elections are coming up in the States, and I don't know about you, but I think rage, alcohol, and blood may be in the mix. Maybe. Anyway, hopefully people will refrain from such actions because... Drinking blood is downright dangerous. Quote, if you drink blood regularly over a long period of time, the buildup of iron in your system can cause iron overload. This syndrome, which sometimes affects people who have repeated blood transfusions, is one of the few conditions for which the correct treatment is bloodletting. Yeah. (laughs) Now, drinking one person's blood probably won't cause iron overload. What it could give you is a bloodborne disease. Most such diseases are caused by viruses that can't survive in the stomach, but they could easily get into your blood through scratches in your mouth or throat as you drink. End quote. See? See, I told you I said it would get way worse, y'all. I mean, all murder aside, <laughs> the list of diseases, the, the list is a list, man. Um, I'm talking hepatitis B and C, HIV, and viral hemorrhagic fevers. 
viral hemorrhagic fevers like Ebola. So, in sum, drinking a drunk person's blood to the point where you get fully wasted will probably kill you for other reasons than alcohol. So please, just crack open a wine or a beer, or if you're like me, a damn good spirit. So, cheers to that, and to you, my friends. Thank you for listening, rating, subscribing, uh, telling your friends that the next time they get drunk, you can drain them of their blood and get a little buzzed. Now, they'd appreciate that. <laughs> you got to find someone who's down with you draining them. And if you do, they're a keeper, like the old saying goes. Okay, anyway, thank you. And uh, please, stay interesting. <laughs>